also need your Bibles. This is a, if you want a title for it, I'm calling it The Spiritually Restless. Um, in the last few weeks, we've been setting the stage for 2020. Uh, I think the first Saturday, we looked at how the church will be changing so as to impact people's lives, and we looked seriously at the changes in the church and what God is doing in his kingdom and with the church that Jesus is building. We looked last week at the role of prayer and the Holy Spirit, and I handed out some of the principles of prayer from the life of Jesus, which is also up online if you look at it. And then we looked at how we can't be passive if we want to be part of what God is doing because the violent take the kingdom by force. Passive in your personal life, you cannot be, and passive in your spiritual life, you cannot be. So, And in the midst of all of that, I've mentioned a number of times that there's a group of people in our world that we're naming the spiritually restless. And so Elizabeth came up last week and asked me, so what is, the who are the spiritually restless? So let me start there. The spiritually restless. Uh, first point, people who are asking spiritual questions, often without knowing they are spiritual questions. People who are asking spiritual questions, often without knowing that the question they're asking is really a spiritual question. So they are the people who are looking for purpose in life, uh, more than making a living, more than working for a living, uh, more than living to work. Um, they're wanting direction as to how and where to invest their lives. They're not willing to waste their lives. They're looking for purpose. Um, they're looking for answers to life's questions. This is all the same point. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? What's the basic purpose of my life? What will give meaning to this daily grind? Um, these people hate routine. They want to know why they exist. They're looking for answers to life. They're wanting to be on an adventure. They want a purpose to invest in. They're looking for a challenge worth embracing. And they're just not interested in work for the sake of work. They're looking for a challenge. You know, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We say, come and listen to me and you won't become anything. <laughs> and that's why this generation isn't looking to the church. Number two, they are dissatisfied with what they see in the world today. They are seriously dissatisfied with what they're seeing in the world today. And so therefore, you would call them an activist or a re rebellious or a rebel. So they're the, these are the people who are joining the Peace Corps. These are the people who become members of Greenpeace. They're hugging trees, saving whales, demonstrating against the seal trade in Newfoundland. They're on the streets wanting to be free of corrupt government and they're fighting against the status quo. So around the world, you see all these young people rising up against governments, trying to overthrow governments by peaceful demonstration, Hong Kong being the biggest one right now. But there's about nine countries or 10 countries that are going through this. Those are the spiritually restless. When you look at them, it doesn't, you know, you don't think spiritual anything, but they are. Third thing, 
you're looking at the spiritually restless is they are spiritually hungry. They are spiritually hungry. And they are totally dissatisfied with religion and religious answers. And they're asking basic questions about life. They're interested in Jesus. They're not interested in the church. They're open to the supernatural. They're not looking for it in the church because they can't find it in the church. They're interested in spiritual things. They're not interested in church or religion because they see it as controlling and manipulating. Fourth thing about spiritually restless people is they're hungry for more than what they see. They're hungry for reason, purpose, direction, meaning, answers, adventure. There's just this gnawing hunger inside of them for more than what they have. Number five, they are the connected generation. They're actually referred to as the connected generation. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Viber, WhatsApp, text messaging, Facebook messaging. Um, They seldom make a phone call. Everything is in typed out on a phone. Not in English. Not in English. (laughs) So they are the connected generation, but there's a big but. They want relationships, but they don't know how to develop deep and meaningful relationships, so they settle for surface activity. In other words, they say they want connection, but they're not connected. Everything is surface. And so it's all like an inch deep and a mile wide. Number six. They can be of any age. They they can be of any age whatsoever, except they usually are under the 35 year and under. So they're 35 years old or younger. But you can be 65 and be spiritually restless. There's a reason I'm telling you all this. You know, when you look at your world, If you were born between 1901 and 1926, you're called the GI generation because there was always a war. If you're born between 1927 and 1945, you're the silent generation or the traditionalists because after the war, everybody wanted to settle down and embrace tradition, embrace stability, which they saw in tradition. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, you are a baby boomer. If you were born between 65 and 1980, you are a Generation X. If you're born between 1981 and 2000, you are a millennial or a Generation Y or a Generation or a Gen Y. And if you're born after 2001, up to today, you are a Gen Z, or an iGen, or a Centennial, or a Boomlet. They come by different names. You're a Boomlet. 
As, as in the world has boomed economically, and you're a boomlet. All right, number seven. So I said all that, listen for the purpose, it's because every one of those age groups, you have to approach them differently when you want to share the gospel with them. So if you go to a boomlet, somebody under the age of 20, uh, you have to have one approach, but if you're coming to somebody who's in their 60s, it's a totally different approach. Okay, number seven. Their perspective on life, if you are spiritually restless, your sp- perspective on life is totally different. I'm sorry, can you say that one more time? Your perspective on life is totally different. Why is your perspective on life different? What was the first part of what you said? Because uh, you're spiritually restless. Oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> I had the same question, but she said a spiritually restless person wants to travel to see the world. That's very important to them. They want to see how other people are living because they don't like the way they have to live. They're interested in connecting with other people or networking. They are interested in helping other people, but they want to remain at arm's length. Um, they're, they're changing jobs. A millennial, by the way, will change jobs at least 20 times, if not 30 times in a lifetime. They're not interested in a profession, long-term gold watch at retirement. Uh, They're not interested in the daily grind. They're not interested in owning a house and staying in one place. And entertainment and having a good time is a high priority. They're also, by the way, not interested in organized religion. So, number eight. They don't share the old-fashioned morals and values of the older generation. They don't share the morals and the values. So, let me give you some things under that one. They're accepting of homosexual relationships. Sex before marriage is fine and normal. Sex with others during marriage or an open relationship is acceptable. Drunkenness is not an issue. Drugs are a regular part of everyday normal life. Abortion is a birth control method. They don't share old-fashioned morals and values. Number nine, they have a deep interest in social justice and changing the world. Can those two coexist? They do. They have a deep interest in social justice and changing the world. So they want to eradicate poverty, ending AIDS and Ebola epidemics, uh, being involved in issues with children, like working age of children, children being misused, child armies. Uh, They fight sex trafficking. They are part of the Me Too movement. Save the whales, kill the babies. Mm Mm-hmm. And then number 10, the last one, the society that they have formed and that we're now facing is post-Christian. So a couple of weeks ago we were talking at the end and uh, Bruce mentioned about talking to a family member about homosexuality not being biblical 
and one of us made the comment that uh, that's you can't push that anywhere because they don't believe the Bible is a moral compass. So this is part of number 10. They are in a post-Christian society. They no longer hold the Bible as a moral compass. They do not see the Bible as having absolutes. They don't understand that the Bible is inspired. Uh, they do not believe that Jesus is God. Words like sin, repent, and holiness have no meaning to them. Um, all religions are the same. There's more than one way to heaven, and there is no hell. That's the world we're facing. And almost every one of those last three generations, the age 30, 35, down, I have just described them. Not the ones that are in the church, the ones that are in the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so look in your Bible. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Your brain should have instantly told you this verse, but you can look it up. Jesus, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Or the Passion Translation says, come and follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people for God. Jesus is saying something in a very strong manner. If you, um, I don't know if you know, there's something called a Rotterham Bible. A Rotterham Bible is uh, written in such a way that it tells you what the emphasis is in the original language. And so the emphasis in this verse, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The emphasis is in the make you fishers of men. And it's a serious, deep emphasis, push in the way he would have said it. So he's... What kind of Bible, sorry? Rotterham. Rotterham. Yep. Okay. So Jesus is strongly saying that as you follow him, as you become a Christian, as you walk with him, as you are discipled, as you read your Bible, the main purpose of all of that is to mold you and form you into a fisher of men, somebody who is a soul winner, somebody who cares about those people out there who I've described in 10 different points. The part of following him is that you become like him because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and so our job is to seek and save the lost. If you want a reference for that, that's Luke 19.10, seek and save the lost. And when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, really all he was saying was seek and save the lost, which is why he came. So this is what Jesus is saying, and I have been teaching it this way for 30 years. If you're not fishing, then you're not following. That's what the verse says. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing, you're not following. I don't know what you're doing other than deceiving yourself. Because, you know, Ephesians 2.10 says that God has prepared good works for us to do even before the foundations of the earth. And good works isn't baking cookies for a new neighbor. Good works is winning people into the kingdom in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, 
You see, we all know the verses. We don't have much with them. But yay! That's John 14, 15. So the sharing, sharing the love of Jesus, touching lives with the gospel, that's known as, come on, basic 101 here, the Great Commission. So let's look it up. Matthew 28. Stay with me. Matthew 28. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, them being the apostles or the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, when you do that, I am with you always to the end of the age, the age being the church age, and we're still in it. That's often referred to as the great omission, not the great commission, because most people are ignoring it. They omit it from their lives. And if you don't know it, it's not an option. It's a command. And we ignore it to our detriment. So go over to Matthew 22. The Great Commission comes from the Great Commandment and the Greatest Commandment, Matthew 22. So we just go back six chapters. Matthew 22, that's where you find the Greatest Commandment and the Great Commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the Great and First Commandment, and the Second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, if you're not fishing, you're not following. If we're not telling others about Jesus, it's a love issue, not an evangelism issue. Because if you love him, you will obey him. And you will share that love with others. So we're commanded to make disciples within the context of this rapidly changing world we're in that is post-Christian. The average person under the age of 30 doesn't have a Bible, has never been to a church because weddings are done outside or in community halls. Funerals are done from funeral home chapels, so they've never darkened the footstep, the doorstep of a church. They have no concept of Christianity. They don't, they think Jesus is a good person or a teacher, but when you say sin, they don't have a, that's water with no bucket to carry it. When you say repent, they have no idea what that means. You can just keep going. And so we're talking a language that our post-Christian society does not understand. And if we're going to go fishing, we have to fish with bait for that particular kind of fish. So if you're fishing for a, uh, GI generation, it's different than if you're fishing for a generation X generation. You catch where I'm going? Okay. So there's two things I think you need to remember, and you can write them down, because these are really important. A church that does not evangelize, church that does not evangelize, fossilizes. In other words, it dies. 
A church that does not evangelize fossilizes. And the second thing is you should not talk to people about God. You should not talk to people about God until you've talked to God about people. Prayer, as we talked about last week, prayer and the Holy Spirit, the, the dynamic duo, have to go together. And you really will have no results if you're talking to people about God before you've talked to God about that person. Okay, so the society that we face today is totally different than the society we faced 10 years ago even. 15 years ago because we now have the internet and iPhones and you have more computer on your phone than they had with the Apollo 13 moonshot where they landed somebody on the moon. You got a better computer in your phone than they had in their space capsule. At one time in the church, it the way we approached things was you had to come to believe and then you could belong. To the church because you believe the same thing the people in the church believed so you became a church member about yeah, 10 maybe 15 years ago that changed and it was believing and then you would belong and then we began to talk about becoming more like jesus in other words sanctification growing more and more like the person you're following well that's changed again in the current day because of the culture and the generation we're facing, it's you belong first. You don't believe first. They're the connected generation. They want to belong to something. So they belong first. Then they come to believe something. Then they become somebody or something. And then they behave like Jesus. And then they begin to build the kingdom. So it's a totally different approach. You don't wait till they understand the gospel or know the Christian faith to get them into a church. You bring them into the fellowship. They belong first because belonging is the most important thing in their life. They want to belong to something that has purpose and meaning and substance. So we're changing the way we're doing church, or we should be. And it also means we're changing the way that we are relating to people. So as soon as you find a person who is spiritually restless, who has begun to ask the questions, the right questions, you have a candidate to invite to a church. Because they don't have to believe to come. They want to belong. So when they come, then you have to accept them for who they are, because they're not Christians yet. And by the way, when they become Christians, don't make them like you. Okay. One of the deepest memories I have, and I can tell you where I was, when it was, it was um, 31 years, 32 years ago. It was in Houston, Texas. It was in a church at a conference for people like Louise and I who were planting churches. 
Um, and there were many lessons learned during that time. I don't have any of the notes I took, but my brain still remembers them. Uh, the church that was hosting the conference is in a city of 2.5 million people. And everywhere we went, it didn't matter if it was morning, noon, or late at night when we were looking for some Tylenol. If you said the name of the church, they knew the name of the pastor, and they knew what the church stood for, and they had nothing but something good to say. Church started with 12 people. It was Southern Baptist. It became spirit-filled, so got kicked out of the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, when we were there, they were seating 5,000. We saw people healed, like seriously healed, people who were deformed and in wheelchairs, literally get up and run. Um, and there was a phrase that came up constantly, and you've heard me say it before if you've been around for a while. Here's the phrase, and you want to write it down. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. That was, their, that was how they grew. They wanted every believer to reach a non-believer and bring them to the church. I sat behind a lady who, and we talked with her for a while. She was a doctor, a medical doctor, a big specialist in the hospital. She had more rocks on her fingers that worth more money than you've put all of us together. And beside her was a drunk and a drug addict that she had picked up and brought to church. Each one, reach one. That's still the name of the game. That's still what this is supposed to be all about. So how do you do that in a post-Christian society? Number one, you have to live life differently than the non-believer. Write them down. Live life differently than the non-believer. And that has nothing to do with clothing or hairstyle, tattoos or piercings. There's no holiness code that religious denominations have. It has to do with the way you live your life. So let me give you some suggestions. Make sure you have time to talk to people. Show them that you care. Learn to listen. That would be different. I talked to somebody this week uh, who I didn't know, and everything I said was totally ignored. It was like whatever I was saying was interrupting her flow. That's what you don't want to do because that shows you don't care and you're not interested. We need to be accepting of people because everybody else in the world isn't. Everybody else judges people. We need to be totally accepting regardless of what they believe or don't believe. That's living differently. We need to be loving people. That would be living differently. How many people have I written, spoken to in the last week who are against Muslims, against uh, homosexuals, against, against, against? Let's have an attitude that's different than that. Why don't we just love people? We don't have to agree with them. Okay? We need an attitude that is different than the normal one we experience out there. That would be living different. So I walked into Bennett Dunlop Ford to pick my vehicle up or drop it off. I forget which occasion it was. And the lady behind the counter with an English accent said, so how are you this morning? And I literally was bubbling over and said, I'm just great. It's a wonderful day. 
and she did not know what to do with that because it was 7.15 in the morning and people just don't come in that happy at 7.15 in the morning when you're dropping your car off for a $600 job. You need to express your values. If you want to live differently, you can express your values and your morals, but do it in a loving way, not a judgmental way. I work with homosexuals in seven countries now. One of the guys from Armenia is currently visiting in New York, and I'm wondering what he's doing with his life while he's there, um, because New York has quite a gay population. Um, but he knows that I don't judge and that I love him and accept him. I've known him since he was seven or eight, and he's 23 at this point. Um, okay, so just you can express your values and your morals. These people know where I stand and what I believe. Okay, you can express your values and your morals. That's living differently. How about to live differently? You have to avoid the no-nos. Stop telling people what they can't do because the scripture says they can't do it or shouldn't do it. They don't believe in the scripture. They don't believe in the Bible. Has that ever worked? No. So, you know, drunkenness, fornication, adultery, forget it. The world is full of it. Okay? If you want to live differently, allow other people to be themselves. And try being transparent, real, and vulnerable. All I've done is looked at the world and tried to think, what is the opposite to the way most people live? And I have just given you many opposites. Okay, number two, build quality relationships with people. Let me tell you what that means. Shut up and listen. I mean, really listen. There's only one problem with that sentence. What? It's with people. <laughs> Yes, that's the word relationship. Sure. I think that's what it has to do with. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm here yet. I don't know you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> listen, when you're talking with people, listen to what they're saying and receive it. Listen for the heart. Don't listen just to their words. But let me say that another way. Read between the lines. There's more to what they're saying than what they're saying. And that means you have to accept people as they are and don't, Judge, don't be judgmental or critical. Let me give you a hint. Watch your body language. Your body language speaks louder than your words. Yes. Rolling your eyes, crossing your arms, backing up a little. Okay. Okay, so don't fight the current lifestyle today. Just build relationships. Are you with me? Uh-huh. So homosexuals, divorced people, abor people who have abortions, people who smoke, get drunk, dress code, languages, who cares? So I'm building a relationship with two uh, people from India, two old men, their grandparents, um, and in the good weather, when it's not this cold, they walk their grandchildren in the park where I walk the dog, and we finally got them saying good morning back when I say good morning. Yep. Um, and just, they, they dress different. I'm wondering how they haven't frozen to death, actually. But So get it past all of that and just build truly transparent, open relationships with people. Number three, learn to navigate the post-Christian society. 
learn to navigate the post-Christian society. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Don't preach at them. They're not going to take your preaching. So watch how um, how much you push your beliefs and how uh, strongly you express a belief. Don't be defensive because that makes you push harder when you're saying something. Um, don't push your values on them. If you live your life differently, point number one, you will end up having them ask you questions and then you can actually give some answers. So navigating your post-Christian society, you don't preach at them, you don't push your beliefs and values on them. You simply build a real relationship. They're not a soul to be one. They are a person to get to know. And if you're just out to win souls, they will smell you coming. The fourth thing I would say if you want to navigate it is be real, be open, be transparent, and be non-religious. Open, real, transparent, non-religious. I didn't say don't be spiritual. I said don't be religious. Your post-Christian society does not have a problem with spiritual. They have a problem with religious. So how do you do this? Well, you just simply talk about principles. Talk about why you live your life the way you do. And don't quote the Bible. You can still share the principles. So... What else would I say if you wanted to navigate post-Christian society? Point number three, uh, don't argue with people. You will not argue anybody into the kingdom. You love them into the kingdom. And once you know them and understand them, uh, wait for the door to open. Don't open the door for them because they don't want to go through. Wait for them to open the door. All right. And number four, last point, get to really know your Bible. All of it, especially the New Testament, especially Jesus. Don't quote it, just talk it. Leave out all the religious language and terms. Learn to express those truths um, without words that no longer hold any meaning go to somebody and eventually say you're a sinner they have no clue what you just said no. none nor do they care nor do they care <laughs> that's right uh, know the answers to the basic questions I'm going to come back to that point in a minute simple answers not theological answers don't I know it all don't do it in I know it all way and use normal language and watch your tone of voice and again, know which fish you're fishing for. So get to know your Bible really well. Get to know the New Testament especially and get to know Jesus in particular. Okay. So here are the ten questions you're going to get asked once you build a relationship. And then I'll, I'll close. Ready? Question number one. Can we trust the Bible? 
the church that we're planting in Toronto has just asked that question. Can we trust the Bible? Question number two. Does God exist? These are questions we have done by survey. We have done the survey in 13 nations so far. And these are the top 10 questions. Number three, whose world is it? In what context? Uh, how are we taking care of the world? So uh, ecology, hug a tree, save a whale. Okay. Whose world is it? What is our responsibility? Is it my responsibility? Number four question, what is God like? There are only 10 questions people ask. When you boil down conversations, these are the questions. Question number five, is my future fixed and predetermined? That's a question about fate or karma or... Number six, why do human beings suffer? If your God is so loving, why are people starving to death and kids are in armies overseas and... I really like Billy Graham's daughter's answer to that. Yeah, there are some good answers, but we need to know the answers. Number seven, what's so different about Jesus? What makes him so special? I follow Mohammed. I follow Buddha. I follow Confucius. They're all the same. They all believe the same thing. They're... Number eight, why was the cross necessary? If God really did love his son, why did he send his son to die? Because he loved you. Number nine, why do I need the Holy Spirit? And number ten, where is the world heading? I'm having coffee with somebody this Tuesday afternoon, who believes that we are in the last few days of the end times and he's stockpiling food and beginning to teach it and, you know, buying a gun and and the only reason I'm having coffee with him is to convince him that he's nuts. So. He's a special kind of special. <laughs> <laughs> so listen. But it's not just him. There's no. Oh. And, it's, and he's a Christian. Yeah, a lot of them are. Yeah. yeah so bunkers. let's go down the questions again. Can we trust the Bible? That's the doctrine of Scripture. Does God really exist? That's the doctrine or the teaching of God. Uh, whose world is it anyways? That's the doctrine of creation. What is God like? That's the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is my future fixed? That's the doctrine of predestination. Paul talks about that. It's very confusing to most Christians. Why do human beings suffer? That's a doctrine of evil. What's so different about Jesus? That's the doctrine of Christ and who he is. Why was the cross necessary? Doctrine of salvation. Why do I need the Holy Spirit? The doctrine of supernatural power. And where is the world heading? The doctrine of eschatology or the end times. We have the answers to the ten questions. The problem is... We don't know the answers. Get to know your Bible. And get to know the answers to those 10 questions and be able to say it, share it, don't preach it, don't push it, but share it in a way that people can understand. Because they're asking these questions and the questions when they ask them are an open door to producing new believers, to sharing the gospel of the kingdom.
Everybody okay? Yep. Good. Listen, last comment. It's been much too long. We have a um, culture of salvation in the church. And it's wrong. Because what we do with the culture of salvation is we say, you need to get born again, now you're good to go. You're good, you're fine. One day you'll die and go to heaven. We need a gospel, or sorry, a, we need a culture of the kingdom, which basically says you have to enter into this journey you're on, so you have to begin to belong to some people who could answer your questions, and then as you go along, it will include doing things for the kingdom, like building the kingdom, expanding the kingdom. In other words, it's more than getting your fire insurance and escaping hell and going to heaven. It's really part of a big cause called the kingdom, and we need to begin to present the gospel and the church as that that we're just a small part of a big kingdom and that our purpose is to expand the kingdom because we believe in the king. So there's a lot of major foundational changes we all need to be making. So we're called to fish. We're called to know the fish we want to catch. And each set of generations is a different set of bait. And you have to work with that. Okay, questions.